2: Okay, forgive the audio there. This is a special episode of the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. You may have got some feedback there. Okay. But for this is live. Uh, we're doing something special here, reacting to the NFL draft. Did not realize that I had the stream open, but we're gonna forget about that. It's an important night. I am Dave Cabin, one of the co owners here at Rotoviz, joined by Curtis Patrick, another one of the owners here at RotoViz. We also have Nathan Powell of the Dynasty Tradecast. We have Travis May, who has the top 100 rookie series coming out post-draft, is the host of the College of Canton podcast. Uh, he has a rookie poll mock coming up on Twitter, and he was once hospitalized by Hot Sauce, he informed me. So <laughs> I think we have a great cast here tonight to start talking about this NFL Draft. Hey Curtis, why don't we just high level take a step back? How um, how uh, amazing has this draft been so far? What are you thinking?
3: I mean, I, I was tweeting out at, at the onset of the draft. I mean, it was literally playing out like a super flex fantasy draft. I mean, in, in the first five six picks, like it was just amazing. Like I really can't remember the beginning of an NFL draft being so exciting. I mean, every every player. Uh, There's enough entry at that third spot with what the 49ers were going to do. And and then they veer from uh, the, the the Mac Jones pick, which was, you know, the popular belief for like a month until a couple of days ago. And just from there, it's just been so much fun. We've had some huge trades. We've had intra-division trades. Uh, I mean, we've had a, a flurry of wide Uh We've seen multiple first-round running backs we've had the highest drafted tight end in NFL history. I mean, this it it's there was there was a lot of build up for a lot of ways. I mean, the the last year was a hard year uh for for many people for many different reasons and I think looking to the 2021 season as something more than just football. It it signifies, you know, the country coming back together watching live events together. You see all the people in Cleveland gathered there uh vaccinated. There's just a lot of positivity. And, uh, I mean, to see all the offensive skill players and then even some of the line picks, uh, protecting some of the quarterbacks from the last season or two. Uh, you can get excited about that from a fantasy perspective. So I mean, just Dave, I'm just completely amped, man. I'm completely amped. We're going to be talking about what's happened in this draft for the next couple of weeks. And, and I, for one, just, just can't wait to get started.
2: Yeah, I mean, this has been playing out very interestingly. A really interesting pick just came in that we are going to work our way up to as we talk through uh, the landing spots for these prospects. So the first pick came in, no surprise there. It was Trevor Lawrence followed up by Zach Wilson going to the Jets at the second pick in the draft. I know we've talked about them a lot. Why don't we very quickly... Take a step back. We don't even have to go through the comps on these ones, I don't think. But uh, let's start with you, Nathan. Um, Any initial gut reaction now that we have confirmed that those truly are the first two picks to start the draft?
1: So, so the main reaction as far as Trevor Lawrence is that he's going into a situation that it's not barren and we'll evolve into how not barren it is, but pre-draft, it was DJ Chark, Kishinal, and Marvin Jones. That's not a bad wide receiver core to start your NFL career with. And they have NFL draft capital to invest in weapons around him and also a defense to build around him. So it, it's one of those things I don't have to sell you on why you should like Trevor Lawrence, but the Jaguars with their draft capital and with their drafting are putting together a team and their free agency or even trades. They're putting together a team that should be successful and that should help the dynasty value of one Trevor Lawrence.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Travis, I see you nodding your head. Anything to add there?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even coming in, we, we knew that he had some, uh, weapons to play around with there. And, uh, who knows, he might have Tim Tebow as a tight end here soon. So that, that, that obviously that would shoot his ADP through the roof, uh, just by adding Tim Tebow, right? So that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's definitely a thing. But uh, no, I think I'm, I'm super excited in, in looking at Trevor Lawrence. We, we knew for years this was going to be it. This is going to be his draft. Uh, and to see him go number one overall was not a surprise three years with uh 90th percentile plus pass- passing efficiency numbers uh and some s- sneaky mobility i guess uh yeah. to to you know overuse draft terms uh that are really lame to begin with but yeah so i'm really excited uh, about um his future and it is an instant quarterback one and in just about any kind of format awesome now let's just
2: turn our attention quickly to the jets pick um Jets not the most well run organization I know I personally did not have Wilson as my number two what do you make of him going to New York uh and, and through, from a fantasy lens uh you know give us what your take would be there for me?
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sticking with me. Two in a row. Okay. Two in a row, yeah. So yeah, Zach yeah. Wilson, uh, I, I actually was running the Road of His Dynasty handle tonight and I was curious everyone's thoughts kind of right away. Okay, so who has the, the best fantasy outlook out of the quarterbacks taken? Just looking at the top four quarterbacks that were taken tonight. And, uh, Zach Wilson was pulling a solid like five or six percent, uh, people voting him as the top option. Uh, and I think those were just accidental, uh, misclicks, <laughs> uh, because, uh, anytime a quarterback goes to the Jets, his career is automatically over and we know this. So, uh, I'm really not excited about this. He's immediately the quarterback five, uh, given his landing spot and weapons around him and just. Any faith in the opportunity uh, and, and the situation there is just not great. I mean, okay, Jamison Crowder, okay, Corey Davis. Like I'm maybe a little bitter because he left my Titans, but you know it's not and it's not like he's got a bunch of bunch of good things to work with. So hopefully they continue to build things around him. But he already had the competition questions and he already had uh, multiple questions about his profile outside of just his raw arm strength, I guess. Yep. Uh, so he was suspect coming in, and this did not help.
2: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I actually was just working on a write-up reacting to these these quarterback landing spots before we came on. I had a very similar take. Any uh, other thoughts that we might have on him, Nathan? How about you?
1: I think that Travis's QB5 take is an interesting one because – I don't really see how you can take Mac Jones in a Patriots offense that has Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, and, you know, the ends they invested in the free agency, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. I, I haven't seen enough from Bill Belichick outside of the Tom Brady experience that I'm confident in him building a team around a quarterback or I'm confident in him using a quarterback. And so I, it, it may be a very small squabble, but, like, There's no chance I would ever take Mac Jones over Zach Wilson with the difference in draft capital and with my lack of confidence in Bill Belichick.
3: No, that's that's fair. uh, (laughs) Yeah, Nathan, I I 100% agree with you, actually. Um, I I think uh, my quarterback rankings may be unchanged. Uh, I mean, we're working our way through, you know, these top five guys. Um, There's only one debate I have, and it's going to be at two and three. Uh, Wilson. was my four coming in, and I think I think he stays there. Um he at least wins I think he wins tiebreakers on the, the skill position players that are there in New York and at Travis. Uh you know compared to other situations in the NFL. The Jets are super rosy, but I still would prefer I would still prefer what they have uh versus what New England is rolling out there at the skill positions. And at least Wilson adds something uh with his feet. Um you know he he can score uh, rushing touchdowns, we've, we've seen that. I mean, he can ra- really rack him up. And I think he's a threat to rush for a couple hundred yards a year. That's going to raise some interceptions for him. Um, I, I just think the ceiling is much higher, whereas Mac Jones, you really have to thread the needle to be a, a real fantasy asset as a pure pocket passer only. Um, we're just not seeing that profile be fantasy relevant above kind of that low-end QB1 range now. So um, we're, we're – we're, we're, I think either one of us are uh, are the ones that any of us are excited about taking in our next Super Flex rookie draft, other than just you know, maybe having a value hit um, later on if they slide. Um, I'm not hearing anybody say a, a QB four for Wilson, so I think we found some alignment there as a group.
2: Yep, um, just have to pop in here for one second and let everybody that's listening to this on the podcast tomorrow know I will not be doing much editing, so if you hear any skipping. Um, You know, you're just going to have to deal with it for this one. We will be hitting upon all of these players uh, in the next couple of weeks. So if anything, uh, you know, super important gets clipped out thanks to Curtis's uh, terrible internet from living out on about 100 acres of of woods, we'll just have to deal with it. But I do want to keep things moving off of those passers. Let's get into Trey Lance going to San Francisco with the third pick. That was the the initial splash that kind of got this draft really going. I personally feel pretty good about this landing spot. I'd like to pull up Sims or comps for him, but actually with him playing outside of the big leagues in college football, we don't have that. So, uh, Nathan, let's start with you on this one. Uh, do you agree with me that this is actually a pretty exciting development? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think this is a huge, huge development for Trey Lance at the third, uh, pick with the 49ers that the only way that Justin Fields wasn't going to be the QB2 was if Trey Lance landed in San Francisco and that has happened. Uh, San Francisco has Debo Samuel, Brandon Aok, George Kittle, a nice stable of weapons going on to where you know, they, they did invest a lot to get to this number three pick. And, th- and that was honestly the, the part that I was most confused about with the Mac Jones rumors, that them getting from from 12 to three, it cost them three first-round picks. And that just didn't make sense to get such a, like, low-ceiling play in Mac Jones. They go with after Trey Lance, and I think that's a high-ceiling play. And this is a guy that can be a long-term, you know, QB1 for the 49ers and a top 10, top 12-ish NFL quarterback. So I, I love the pick for, for the 49ers and also think that it's – it is definitely the best scenario out of all the quarterbacks that went somewhere. He went to the best scenario. He went to the best, uh, landing spot.
2: Yeah. I don't think I would disagree with you, Travis. Are you on board with that as well?
4: Yeah, I mean, everybody wanted their guy to go to the 49ers because of uh, the opportunity and and the scheme that's uh, pretty friendly to quarterbacks. And certainly the surrounding cast looks better and better every time you look back at it, the the more detail you dig into, you're like, okay, yeah, this is an incredible opportunity. And when you build in his mobility uh, with that opportunity and the creativity that can be there now that was not there with any of the quarterbacks that they've had, uh, in the past year or two, uh, yeah, it's obviously the best situation to jump in and have some success right away. Now I, I, I was just on another show, um, just earlier this evening talking about, uh, you know, well, several people actually on the same group were actually talking about how they were, well, well Trey Lance, is, this is perfect because he can sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm like, ah, like, I don't know why. I mean, I guess, but I think it, the moment Grappolo struggles at all, I could see Lance popping in and immediately never giving the the job back again, uh, just because of what he brings as a dual threat um, on the ground and and really uh, he's got the crazy arm strength and he's got a nice analytical profile if you squint and are okay with uh, his his FCS competition level. Um, he's got a great twenty eight to zero touchdown interception season that we've been talking about for a year and a half now but uh but yeah i I definitely like it i I actually still have justin fields as my quarterback too but it's it's they're kind of in the same same tier now i think there's just a break and then four and five uh with wilson and and mac jones are kind of by themselves
2: got it curtis i saw you um nodding your head down there um it looks like uh you're also kind of excited about this uh, about this maneuver. And, and you know the one thing that I do want to say I guess before we before I actually let Curtis have a chance to pop in here is that if I'm thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo in the context of the 49ers, you know, he's not the type of player that we've seen really do a whole lot in terms of actual game situations to put to push this team forward, whereas it feels like, you know, if you're the Niners, you want you made this pick to get your guy in Lance you're looking for a playmaker that you can bring in there and really make a difference so I'm definitely not expecting that we see Garoppolo open the season and then you take the comments from the team's head coach some very strange commentary uh and you put that in there and I'm just kind of feeling better about Lance's prospects but Curtis it looks like uh you you want to get in here
3: yeah, I'm going I'm to turn my uh, camera off okay. while I'm talking. Hopefully, we don't get the uh, garbled a gook here. Um, but yeah, I mean, for up out of the top 10, like this just reeks of what happened to Deshaun Watson uh, a few years ago. Um, it feels exactly the same to me. He had a sterling profile. He was a winner in college. He was he was a highly recruited player out of high school, dating all the way back. And it's just a really a head scratcher for me. That so many teams who needed quarterback in the top ten were willing to pass on him, like that's that's the biggest, I guess, warning sign for me. And I'm kind of where Nathan is, where it's like I could almost glance over Justin Fields for fantasy at this point because he hits he hits you know the absolute top landing spot uh in the in in San Francisco, and then you just wonder like what is it or not like about Justin Fields, like even Detroit. Like Jared Goff's not their future. Like, I mean, it, these, these teams that needed quarterback more than anything were willing to pass on Justin for defensive, uh, perimeter players and, and cornerbacks important in this league and you can never have too many, but it's not quarterback. It's not edge. It's not left tackle. So like, that's like, just like the NFL context of of. team. Not believing in fields in a top ten in a quarterback rich draft like this, that's what it really uh gives me some pause so it's gonna take it's gonna take a day or two for this to really sink in um Lance certainly enters the tier uh fields in Lawrence for overall you know q b one um i mean I think you still have to like Lawrence there, but now I can see a scenario where Lance actually becomes the overall you know q b one for fantasy in this class. And let's see that. Let's a specific landing spot.
2: Got it. Got it. All right. Um, seeing as we've we've been talking a lot about the quarterbacks here, let's just round things out before we pop back to Atlanta, picking Kyle Pitts at four, and just quickly get the thoughts of the group on Mac Jones. We talked, I think, a little bit about this as a group before we actually came on air, with Nathan saying that he does not trust Bill Belichick to use Mac Jones. Correctly, I believe, was the quote. Do I have that correct, sir?
1: Not – no. Not used correct, not used correctly, more so to develop. Okay. Like it, I, I, I think that if you're taking Mac Jones in, like, the top eight or nine of Superflex drafts right now, it's because you have a trust in Bill Belichick, and I don't currently have that trust because he's been incompetent with getting weapons outside of, like, a Randy Moss trade 12 years ago. Um, so – yeah, I, I just have some trust issues with what the Patriots are doing. And there is, like, I feel like, you know, a 30 to 50% chance that, like, Belichick doesn't know what he's doing outside of having Brady with him.
2: Wow. So I am sitting here in New Hampshire, as you say that, and I'm worried that just via proxy of that coming through my headphones, somebody's going to come and, and bring me to jail. Uh, Travis or Curtis, do either of you have some some strong thoughts in response to that? <laughs> Travis, what
4: do you think? Oh, and Nathan, just were you actually staring at the Patriots helmet behind Dave as you said that? Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, that's I feel like that's a just personal attack right there. But no, I think there's certainly some evidence that that might be the case. But you you got to hope that uh, the scheme that they have in place, uh, with you know, helps. Mac Jones is, you know, lack of person, I guess, uh, perfect arm strength, uh, and, and what he can do downfield as a passer, maybe. And maybe he has, uh, you know, he might not have the best weapons, but maybe they just set him up to have some schematic success. Uh, so I, but I understand the concerns there. Um, I just think he's a, a better prospect than a lot of people give him credit for, especially with his, uh, Final season being incredible, like a 98th percentile passing efficiency season. Even without the mobility, it was incredible. Five 400-yard passing games. Alabama's history only has 10 of those. Uh So, that, I mean, I, I'm not going to doubt Mac Jones' ability, especially a guy going mid-first round. The difference in that capital to pick 10 or whatever it is is not uh super significant if we're just talking, you know, hit rates I, and everything. So I'm not too worried about it.
1: I, I will say one thing. I don't necessarily love Mac Jones as a player, but I am going to end up with a lot more Mac Jones as a Patriot at 15 than I would have if Mac Jones was a niner at 3. Like I'm going to like yeah. his value in that 10 to 12 range. If he was a niner at 3, he would be in the 4 to 6 range. Right there with you, man.
2: Yep, Curtis, you got uh any strong thoughts on Mac Jones?
3: Yeah. I don't – I mean, it's hard for me to fade Travis's, uh I guess, rosy take of his profile. Um And, you know, if he can be a high, you know, pass completion percentage guy, and, and if he had better weapons, I would be more optimistic on him. Like he can just dish it, you know, dish it to, you know, the weapons and let them rack up some yak. I, I just – I don't understand what the Patriots offense is supposed to be. And that just gives me a lot of pause. There's a, a question in the chat from Frank Duffy. Frank, one of the best Twitter followers I have. Um, does Mac beat out Cam in year one? Um, does Mac in one? I mean, I think that the Patriots be competitive this year um, with or without Cam Newton. Um, so that's kind of a, a difficult question. But I'm going to say that, uh, that Cam actually starts the season and uh, it, it's a, a little bit of experience. Um, the Patriots haven't been a, a team that's been very quick to turn large roles over to rookies, um, over Belichick's tenure, which has been several decades. I and mean, we got a pretty good sample size on that now. Um, even when they drafted Garoppolo and, and there were rumors of Brady, um, you know, kind of being on that decline, you know, he just continued to sit despite how good he looked in the preseason and then spot starting the suspension year. So I, th- I think look forward to it.
2: Yeah, it seems like I might have missed the last piece of that. Curtis, you mind uh, just saying that again?
3: The last piece there? Yeah, I think Mac Jones will hold the clipboard all year. I think, I think it's Cam Newton's job in 2021.
2: Okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, that should definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. My expectation is that Cam likely starts the year. I'm not going to say, though, that I think it's permanent that he holds on to that. I really would not be shocked around week six. We start to see the transition uh, that, though, takes us through the quarterbacks. Now, what I really want to get into is some of these players at the receiver running back position. But we got to start with the tight end going the highest that we've ever seen. That is Kyle Pitts now getting teamed with Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones and an Atlanta offense that was one time one of the most exciting in the league are they going to get back there Travis talk to me about how good Kyle Pitts is and how good of a landing spot and how good of a fit this is for him
4: Yeah I think we've been talking about Kyle Pitts for months now as like a generational tight end uh and so I, I'd say people are probably tired of hearing that but it's yep. still true today uh you, we're talking about a guy who you know was peaking this past fall at, at age 21ish uh, even under that, I guess, um, for part of the season, you know, with like what a 32% dominator rating, uh, you know, taking up almost a third of the uh, receiving offense for the Forty Gators, which is you know like double what normally counts as a, a tight end breakout in college. Like co- college tight ends, people don't understand college tight ends just aren't very productive, uh, especially early on. And Kyle Pitts defied that that production arc and was like, "Hey man, I'm kind of like a wide receiver slash tight end slash just amazing." Phenomenal freak. He's got, you know, that freak score around the 99th percentile athletically. And then he also has a great production profile. And then he's got perfect draft capital going in the top five picks. And then he goes to a system with the Atlanta Falcons, you know, they're bringing in, um, my dude Arthur Smith from the Titans, uh, former tight ends coach who loves using tight ends quite a bit. And in fact, no other team you know, then the, then the Titans actually ran more, uh, 12 personnel last year. That is, uh, one running back, two wide receivers, two tight ends. And basically 50% of the time or even more, he actually had tight end, like two tight ends on the field. Uh, he loves using his tight ends. In fact, oh, like I think over 130 targets went to tight ends for the Titans last year. However, the problem is, when you really break it down, you realize, oh crap, no tight end actually individually saw more than 70 targets on the Titans last year. So, yes, he has multiple tight ends on the field. Yes, he's obsessed with building them into the progression. But does he change his usage and actually put all those targets onto one tight end when they still have Hayden Hurst there, when they still have, you know, two really good wide receivers there? and Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. And so what does it look like when, you know, 250-plus targets are going to go to those top two wide receivers and the guy who is, you know, he's going to share some snaps with the the tight end position uh, had like 90 targets last year. Are all those just going to disappear? It's kind of like it's hard to just immediately project – that he's going to come in and take all the work, but when you invest that kind of capital, you have to assume that there's going to be a pretty early opportunity for Kyle Pitts. And with an offensive coordinator that loves using the tight ends as much as Arthur Smith does, uh, there is a path to early production for Kyle Pitts, and I'm really excited about it.
2: Yeah, I I think you made a lot of good points there because I haven't heard people talking about the fact that you're still going to have Hurst there, the way that Arthur Smith has deployed those two tight ends. Nathan, we know how great of a prospect he is. We've talked about some of the highlights. If I asked you to spin me a narrative as to why people should be less excited about Kyle Pitts than they are, would you have anything to present me with?
1: My primary thing to present you with would be, he's a tight end. (laughs) Uh, and tight ends have an incredibly low hit rate, and even when they do hit, they aren't as valuable as running backs and wide receivers in comparison from a dynasty perspective, and so that's really the way to spin, you know, not valuing uh, Kyle Pitts as a top five, top six, you know, overall super flex rookie asset, but I think he's fine. I, I think that the, my main beef with the Kyle Pitts pick is that the Falcons were in perfect position to reset. They had so an opportunity to reset the franchise, trade Matt Ryan, dump Matt Ryan, dump Julio Jones, and basically create a new team. But they decided, let's let's try and continue this, you know, mediocre build with Kyle Pitts. And so, obviously, this is more of a dynasty show, but from a from a non-fantasy perspective, I don't understand the pick. I think that this just cements the Falcons into the middle of the NFC South and into the middle, middle of the NFC, uh, um, you know, as it would be. But from a fantasy perspective, I have Kyle Pitts as tight end three, tight end four in dynasty, and he's the top tight end drafted ever. And so, you know, y'all like what you – you're gonna see from there and there's not much running game there with, you know, Mike Davis as their RB one as of, you know, recording this podcast. I'm sure they're gonna invest either a third or fourth round pick in the running back position. But in terms of Kyle Pitts, I think that it's a solid landing spot here. I I just don't really understand the purpose for Atlanta.
2: Got it. Hey Curtis, do you have any updates for me on what we might have in any of the Rotoviz tools or um you know just anything that you wanted to add on Pitts?
3: Yeah, so we like to look at the box score scout uh after the NFL draft and because we can the one variable that we don't know during the operation piece is what's the draft happy. We we could guess that Pitts would be early, but now we can actually enter in draft pick four and, and see where he lands. And uh the closest player to to him is no fan, but the score is twenty four. So I mean it just shows you I, I mean, he's a, he's a unicorn. Like Kyle Pitts, really is a unicorn. Like there's no, no one compares to him. Even the players that do compare to him don't really compare to him. Fan, LeBron, T.J. Uh That's really. I mean, you can't get any better than that. That's a, 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 a trio of what top 15 NFL draft picks, which is fine. Then uh, I think Pitt will draft it in most formats. I think, like, two tight end is where I'd consider taking him as early as he's going to go. Otherwise, I'd really rather go a different direction uh, for dynasty purposes.
2: Got it. So Pitts goes at four, and then we have the first receiver going another player that everybody has been super high on. And, of course, that is Jamar Chase coming out of LSU, gets to play with Joe Burrow, get to put that connection back together of course, you have Tyler Boyd there in that offense. You have T. Higgins, another bright young star from last year. What do we do now with this with this offense? Nathan, talk to me about how good of a landing spot this may be for Chase and then if this really does cause concerns for the receivers in that group and if this really now has to pull Higgins down in everyone's mind in terms of his value.
1: Yeah, this has been my biggest concern from the Bengals all off season. I'm a huge Higgins guy. He was one of my top rated rookies last year and a guy who I've drafted in several dynasty leagues. But there's no way no two ways about drafting Jamar Chase at five hurts T. Higgins dynasty value. And so yes the Bengals are going to have one of the, like this is a poor man's version of what we saw in Dallas last year, where the rich get richer with a targets perspective, perspective. Last year the Dallas had Amari Cooper, Michael Galvin, they added C.D. Lamb. And now the Bengals have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. They add Jamar Chase. And so you're really adding things some, like on a team that has a lot of weaknesses, they're adding to something that isn't a weakness, which is the wire receiver position. Now, will the Bengals be a better team long-term because they drafted Jamar Chase? Probably, But I will say that it, they're filling a hole that wasn't really there. But what I am saying here is that the T. Higgins, it does decrease his long-term upside. It does decrease his short-term upside. And I, I think Chase is fine. Chase is going to be, you know, a low-end wire receiver one, high-end wire receiver two. Higgins is where I'm a little bit worried about the target distribution once, once Chase, you know, ends up developing. But – I still think both are very solid in both top 24 dynasty fire receivers.
2: Got it. Uh, Curtis, what do you have to add in there for us?
3: Yeah, so I think I'm going to pose a question here. I mean, everyone knows uh, that's been listening to our show, Dave, and that has, I mean, been in and out of the Dynasty Command center, uh, Center chat. The, I Looked at my Debbie rankings over the years, like Chase was a smash, right? Um, so it's it's really about, you know, is his value right and dynasty. So I'm looking at the Rodoviz Triflex Dynasty startup ADP. And Jamar Chase entering tonight had a wide receiver seven overall positional ADP. So landing in Sensi with the other receivers there, uh, I want to ask Nathan first because I I really enjoyed his team. Like wide receiver seven overall. Personally I think that's I think it's too high. I really like he's going in front of Stephon Diggs there. He's going in front of Calvin Ridley there. Like I understand the value piece, but he's going in front of like players that you will when you I really mean, like he's that are also prime major younger right now. And I just don't know how I feel about it in that offense. Uh so maybe start start with Nathan and then, you know, Dave or Travis, uh wide receiver seven. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, wire receiver seven seems a bit expensive for a couple of reasons. Because T. Higgins still exists, T. Higgins is still one of the best young wire receivers in the NFL. But also, something that you have to take into account with any Bengals wire receiver or any Bengals player, Joe Burrow is still recovering from major knee surgery. And, you know, the value of, of Jamar Chase, the value of T. Higgins kind of rests on Joe Burrow and his ability to recover from this major knee injury. So... Yes, we've come a long way medically in that most likely Joe Burrow will will be fine. But I think that a lot of the valuations around the Bengals offense, particularly Jamar Chase, particularly Joe Burrow, especially if you're considering Jamar Chase the wide receiver seven, that is basically saying, I'm not worried about Joe Burrow's knee at all. Um, And I am. So I wouldn't draft Jamar Chase at wide receiver seven. I would draft him at 102 in a 1QB dynasty startup, I mean, 1QB dynasty rookie draft. But I wouldn't draft him wide receiver seven in a startup.
4: Yeah, that's that's a little rich, especially when you mention guys like Diggs being in a similar value range. I mean, that's that. I mean, you're you're drafting him at uh, at or near his ceiling, especially given the other options there with Higgins and Boyd. And, and yes, last year, if you look at the target splits, it is kind of crazy to think about this, but there were three wide receivers who actually had over a hundred targets. Uh, there for the Bengals last year. And they were spreading it around and and airing it out. And uh, nobody had over 120 targets. Uh, And A.J. Green, or the the ghost or zombie version of him that is now gone, uh, is no longer there. And they plug in Jamar Chase, who should be a clear and obvious upgrade. Uh, But does anybody actually pull more than 120 targets out of the three? I'm not really sure. Uh, And so because of that, you know, target distribution, uh, distribution and ambiguity. I just can't, can't really go all in on chase. Like I'd want to, given how much I love him as a prospect.
2: So can I just float this out there? Right. Um, in comparison to a player like Ceedee lamb, who's in an offense where you have Michael Gallup, you also have Amari Cooper and that's a really tough situation to be in. Um, If we're thinking about Lamb in his context and we're thinking about the context of Chase, who I think it's kind of interesting. Like, is it fair of me to say that in Chase's offense, we all now would assume that he is by and large the best player, whereas if you're thinking about Lamb, it's not so clear cut? Like, I'm just trying to think of how analogous those situations are.
3: Yeah, Dave. I think that's that's great because I was going to interject and actually say, Cincy is basically uh, uh, the the Dallas outdoors with a quarterback we're not sure about yet. So I mean, like they could be the next Dallas. Um, they really could, and and I don't think it's presumptuous to say Chase is the 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 legitimate, you know, best, weapon there he should be the alpha of the passing game. Um, it's not that Higgins or Boyd aren't nice talents, and I think they're they're both good at what they need to do within the context of the offense. But Chase should be Chase should be the alpha. I think that he will be the alpha in Dallas. Just the chemistry that he he displayed with Dak right out of the gate, despite really not getting an off season, a traditional offseason last year. Um, he seems to be a perfect fit for Dak that gets to play indoors. Um, and in the Dallas team, I mean, they look set to be like an NFL uh, league leading uh, scoring offense, or maybe even perhaps a record setting offense. I mean, they really were they they were just liquid magma hot last year. It was nuts. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's very similar. Um, the the slight difference for me with CD is now we've at least seen it. We saw it for a month with Dak, and we saw what that looked like with Jamar Chase. We we don't know. I mean, we saw it in college. Um, to be fair, so that's more information than we had on CD and DAC last year at this time. Um, you know, but how how will that how will that transfer? It's not the same offense. Uh, Burroughs hurt now. And, you know, so, you know, certainly Cincinnati uh, versus AFC North is not LSU versus college football.
2: Yeah, that definitely <laughs> makes a lot of sense there. Uh, So I certainly understand those points. Uh, We could probably continue to expand upon that, but I do want to move along to make sure that we're able to get to one of my favorite players that was coming out of this class. And that is Jalen Waddell coming out of Alabama goes as the first of the two Alabama receivers that went in the first round. He lands now in Miami playing with Tua and he gets to go back with the former teammate. Hopefully, there's already some chemistry there. I think some people might find this kind of an interesting landing spot because you do have Will Fuller. There might be some overlap between skill sets. Obviously, both very speedy players. Travis, let's start with you on this one. Um, heading, Give us your, your quick take on um, where Waddle would have ranked in this class heading into the draft and if that has moved at all as a result of the landing spot in the draft capital that uh, Miami put into him.
4: I think uh, a lot of people that value analytics uh, over the film side of analysis would have had him going in the later first round uh, for Superflex rookie drafts. I think that's pretty safe to say, but people who kind of have a balanced approach or value kind of a more film heavy analysis and just love his raw tools and burst and just ridiculous uh, athleticism to his game probably would have still had him in in the middle of the first round of Superflex drafts. And, and frankly, I'm not gonna double count here uh and you know be like, oh, he got the exact draft capital that I thought he was going to and move him up my board because of it. Uh, he's gonna stay right where I, I had him already as a as a late first kind of pick um early on, I think seventy to eighty targets maybe maybe max ninety um is probably what we're looking at in year one for him, just given the uh the opportunity at hand in the offense that he's going to be inserted into. But, uh, you know, he could pop off and have a few big games just given his skill set. And so you might have uh, a few uh, sell-high windows because of that. And so that's probably going to be fun for the people that do uh, go ahead and invest in Jalen Waddle. But I'm not super high on his long-term, high-volume fantasy football contribution.
2: Got it. Um, One thing that's probably worth just pointing out in the context of that, too, is I believe Will Fuller is on a one-year deal. Um, so if that's something that's scaring anybody off that's listening to this show long-term, you might not need to let that factor in that much. Before I head over to Curtis to get some of the uh, updated comps now that we know his landing spot, you have any uh, quick thoughts for me, Nathan, on uh, Waddle to Miami?
1: This, this is what Tua needed. Tua needed a guy um, to get some separation. I know that some of that, to an extent, is fuller. But he needed a guy long-term who is going to get the separation in the offense. He wasn't going to survive with Devontae Parker. Jose Parker, you know, being his number one wide receiver. So I, I personally didn't like the pick. I keep on putting my NFL slant here, but like yeah. I, I would I, I would have much rather them go gone after Sewell at six and protect, protected Tua uh Tua from a you know offensive line perspective. But if they weren't gonna go that direction, I think that Waddle was the next best option with the speed that he provides to an offense.
2: Curtis, what do you got for me?
3: Uh, yeah yeah the updated sims uh for Jalen Waddle in this landing spot Jerry Judy actually becomes his number one sim uh followed by c d lamb uh we get in there and Ted Ginn all the top four um so, so this is a pretty uh this is a pretty dicey group um a, a coin flip going a little bit further we see Percy Harvin you can see some uh overlapping skill set there that's pretty interesting to pull in. Uh, but then we also get Nelson Aguilar, Dexter McCluster. Um, I am I, I think that the Sims say there's a wide range of outcomes um, despite the high draft capital here. You know, it's an athletic guy with a production profile. That's what we get. And that's a profile that we aren't exactly certain uh, how that's going to translate to the NFL. But, you know, I do think him and Will Fuller, even in year one, can be complementary players like Fuller. Fuller primarily is an intermediate and deep threat, and I think Waddle can be a threat in at all three levels, and is a better you know yak uh, weapon than than Fuller. And so, so I do think that they're they're complementary players. Uh, and I'm mostly happy that uh, the Dolphins dodged, or that Miles Gaskin dodged the Dolphins' uh, first round uh, running back um, <laughs> bomb. There, that's probably my favorite thing about th- th- this pick uh, for the Dolphins and their their pick to tease that.
2: Yes, I'm certainly happy about that as well. I like what you noted about uh, Waddle being able to play at all three levels. As I've said for a while now, I'm actually pretty high on him. Maybe this isn't the greatest landing spot he could have, but it doesn't change my opinion too much on him. One final note that I'll say as we read through some of these list of comps, um, like when we're reading through the first 10, you still might see like four or five guys that aren't the greatest comps in there. To me, Like, uh, those are actually still pretty good lists when you're getting players that entered the league with pretty good profiles. Because I think that what Rotovis users will find when they go and they play around with this is a lot of receivers uh, might get one or two interesting names in there. So just keep that in mind as we read through these. So, uh, we have Waddle going at pick six. Carolina and Detroit both passed up their opportunity to uh, go the route of getting Justin Fields. Denver also skips going for Fields. Finally, we get to the Eagles making a move to go and get Waddle's teammate in Devonta Smith. We talked on the show, Curtis, about how his size may not have been as much of a thing that people needed to worry about as it was made out to be by some. Uh, We'll come back to you in a second. Nathan, what do you think of this landing spot And, uh, does this shoot, um, you know, Smith's value up in any way going to a team that looks like it could certainly be in use of his skills? Well, we
1: talked a little bit pre-show about the future of the Eagles offense in relation to Jalen Hurts and... If Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are going to be successful, it's going to be with Devonta Smith as the wide receiver one. We saw a minimal to nothing from Jalen Rager in year one. And so I think this puts you know Devonta Smith in the driver's seat for being the wide receiver one. In addition to the draft capital spent on him, they, they traded up. They used a third-round pick to move from 12 to 10, which is kind of a hefty price tag, just move up two spots. So I, I think that – With DeVon Smith, they're dead set on this is our number one. They didn't want the Giants to take him. They didn't want him to be be with their division rival. So I I like the landing spot because I think that this offense has some upside. Um, I think that the Eagles offense as, as a whole has one of the lower floors in the NFL, but it also has one of the higher ceilings if Jalen Hurts develops into a solid pocket passer.
2: Travis, you agree with that?
4: Yeah, I, I said it better. I think that they're looking to make him the focal point of the offense there as much as uh, I think all of us probably liked uh, Jalen Rager last year. And I think he could still pop in and be productive as uh, the second option there. You have to conclude that Devontae Smith is going to be the go to option there. Uh, and I think for many people, Devontae Smith is probably uh, still in the wide receiver two conversation in this class. Uh, and I think that's exactly where he belongs, despite what we might say about his BMI and despite what too many people have said about his BMI, um, what he does. it is-
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Incredible. And
4: really, if you look at his peak production, he's a 98th percentile kind of prospect uh, 90th percentile prospect according to the uh, adjusted production index in and a measure actually put together that takes a look at uh, receiving dominated rating yards per team pass attempt and touchdowns per team pass attempt really a balanced view of of his of really any wide receivers overall contribution uh, in terms of being able to handle volume uh, being able to maintain efficiency in that volume and being able to score touchdowns at a high rate. Uh, and then when you throw in the draft capital, it just—it's an easy decision to keep him uh, as a really high, highly valued wide receiver in this class.
2: Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S.-licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication's appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash rotoviz and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to getroman.com/slashrotovis now to get fifteen dollars off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. getromancom rotoviz Get started now to save fifteen dollars on your first month of treatment.
3: Okay, yeah, so some of the updated uh, sims for Devontae Smith from our prospect, Bucs Score scout, Corey Coleman, actually uh, his, his closest, Odo Beckham Jr., his is at number two. Uh, we pull in Kendall Wright, Devontae Parker, Michael Floyd, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, but then then we get uh, pretty exciting at the end. We get C.D. Lamb, uh, good Mike Williams, Clemson Mike Williams, Uh, Brandon cooks and Sammy Watkins. So, I mean, this is a really good uh, top 10 here. And um, the thing that I like about this landing spot is it, it uh, it really legitimizes the Eagles belief uh, or my belief that the Eagles view Jalen hurts as their franchise quarterback. Um, And so I like Nathan's point about the floor being low. um, But I I think it's an under, you know, I mean, the ceiling is very high. Uh, I don't think that you can, you can overstate that. I mean, and we have some very talented guys, um, I obviously wrote up Jalen Rager uh, as one of my dying trades in a couple of weeks. Um, I think his price is going to drop after this, um, but perhaps what you know he needed within the context of the offense is uh, to not be the only you know only player that belongs on an NFL roster, which is kind of the situation uh, we had with that wide receiver court last year. So, um, very excited about this landing spot for Devontae Smith, and like Travis said, you know BMI not as important as API. Uh, I prefer those three letters here when we're evaluating uh, Devontae.
2: Oh, I, I, I like that. There's a quote about Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. All right. So uh, you, after, you know, you also had the other trade there, uh, the Bears moving up for Justin Fields, which uh, I was really hoping New England could get him, so I felt obligated to mention that again. But we've talked enough about the quarterbacks, I believe. The next player that that brings us to that we have to talk about is a player that – I was not a big fan of I believe that Travis was not a big fan of um, Nathan you may have agreed yes you you agreed with me here as well and that was Kadarius Toney wide receiver out of Florida going to the Giants to likely play in the slot they're bringing in Kenny Galladay this year they have Daniel Jones at quarterback what did you make of this pick you can give me your NFL perspective and then also your uh, fantasy spin on this
1: so from an NFL, NFL perspective, I don't necessarily think there's a huge separation between wide receiver four carries or wide receiver yeah four Kadarius Tony and maybe wide receiver seven who's going to get taken in the second round. Yep. But my my problem here was that it wasn't it's not necessary to take a wide receiver four in this draft at pick twenty because you can then pick wide receiver seven at pick 47, forty seven pick forty three. Um, but in terms of you know, a fantasy perspective. I think it's an, a solid landing spot for for Tony himself. Um, there's a lot of different things going on in that Giants offense, but this, and we see this a lot with young quarterbacks. But this is the Giants saying, "All right, Daniel Jones, we're going to give you everything we possibly can. And if you can't succeed with Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, if you can't succeed with all this, then you're a bust." And sometimes that's often, often like necessary evil, like give this quarterback everything that they could possibly have and then judge them on it. And so Tony is not going to be my, you know, wire receiver four drafted in dynasty or fantasy, but he enters into a situation where he could be, you know, wire Y-R-C-R-1, receiver one, wire receiver one, a, in this giant's offense.
4: Got it. Travis, uh, what are your thoughts on Tony? No mention of Galladay there, man. I see. I see how it goes. Hey,
1: <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll go with two. He's the wire receiver two behind Galladay. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, man. I, I really. I, I've i joked a lot about how much uh, I don't like Kadarius Toney as, as a prospect. And I think I even said earlier this evening if the Titans took, uh, Kadarius Tony, I would just disown the Titans later, man. I'll just root for the Falcons, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, he's not going to be, you know, like Nathan said, going early in rookie drafts for me, I'm going to end up with zero Kadarius Tony just because everyone else that likes him already more than I do is going to reach because he's got the capital and even, even the people that just show up tomorrow and be like, Oh yeah, Kadarius Tony got capital. I should take him. I'm going to end up with none of it because, Analytically speaking, he's a hard nope, and the only thing that was ever going to fix his profile was going to be first-round draft capital, uh, and even so, like, his best comps are are not the best. Like, he he still comps to a bunch of really terrible players uh, outside of, basically, Percy Harvin uh, and maybe, you know, Curtis Samuel, if you like that. Uh, but if you plug him into most of the—most uh, uh, any kind of model still, even with first-round capital— uh, where he was taken. It's not great. So, yes, he had a weird, for those that are not familiar with him and his story, you know, he was a, a quarterback in high school, uh, converted to a utility player on off and on with basically this running back wide receiver thing that Florida wanted to do, and really wasn't given the reins to just embrace the wide receiver position fully until this past season, and he was a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun to watch, but he's got a lot to figure out at the position, even from a film standpoint. So, I, uh, I'm i just going to end up with zero,
1: and I'm
2: okay. <laughs>
4: That's all I have to say about Tony. Dave,
3: Dave's been waiting to that like all night. I have, uh, yes. he, he was waiting for the Kadarius-Tony <laughs> breakdown. So Travis, I know. Travis actually did hit a couple of these D- sims uh, from the uh, root of his prospect box score scout. Um, our closest sim for Tony with uh, draft position 20 is uh, Philip Dorsett you get per rugs and judy like i don't really think that that's that bad i mean for the top five uh Dorset's the only um total whiff there um so far i mean i think the jury's out on henry Ruggs and jerry in uh and jerry um when you look really directly at the at the profile i didn't really appreciate how close of a production and athletic profile he has to curtis samuel so i think you know, that's the potential ceiling. But I do think he's more raw, and he isn't as accomplished even, like, as a runner on some of those plays as what Sammy was. Like, Sammy was, like, legitimately a hybrid back slash receiver in that Meyer offense uh, early in the career before he started focusing a little bit more uh, on, on the, you know, kind of the move-receiver stuff. Um, a little bit down further outside that top five, it just becomes an absolute disaster uh, <laughs> on the sim list. We get Dante Pettis, uh, Devin uh, Titus Young and Dexter McCluster. So, you know, it's actually a better list than I would have thought for Tony. He's getting bailed out totally by draft position uh, in his 40 time here. And, you know, I mean, the line up to 40, really, it's decent speed score. So there's some redeeming qualities here. My biggest issue is that for me to like Tony, I would have wanted him to land in an inventive offense of some kind. But he lands with, you know, bread, vanilla, ice cream, uh, manila, Folder, Chalk, Jason Garrett. I mean, it's like it's the absolute worst pairing of player to offensive coordinator mind. Yeah. So if if he, if he would have gone to Kansas City or if he would have gone to New Orleans or if he would have gone to Green Bay and been the number two receiver there, like there are spots where he could have landed that I probably would have over-adjusted um, if he had still got the first-round draft capital. Um, but this was not one of them. So, you know, Tony is definitely not, like, going to move into the back end of round one and rookie drafts for me, despite the early draft capital and the wide receiver four status there.
2: Didn't we also see Tavon Austin play for Jason Garrett and the team, try to make a case that they were going to use him all the time and and nothing came to fruition. He (laughs) was completely misused.
3: Yeah, as a web back. I remember it's the first (laughs) time I
2: ever
3: heard that. He was going to be a web back. He was get 15 to 20 touches per game. Um, It's it's one of the worst Roto world blurbs of all time.
2: Yes, absolutely. So I think that we can pivot now off of Tony. Uh, Let's get to what is going to go down as a very exciting pick for a lot of people. I feel like I'm – Curtis, we actually talked about this. Uh, I don't remember – yes, it was last week about the possibility of Najee Harris going – to Pittsburgh, how pumped up people would be! Now, you recently drafted him in a Rotoviz triflex dynasty league that we are in. You took him before I had the chance to get him. I am not feeling great about that. I'm actually going to let you roll with this one first instead of our guests here because I'm sure you're so enthused that you want to break this down for me.
3: Yeah, what's well, pretty cool actually, uh, Najee Harris, and then the next player we're going to talk about here in a minute two players like the fourth round of that startup yep um so i, I took uh, i took Najee at a 401 uh and a super flex startup I was very happy with that and then i traded up to the 404 to grab that next player but, you know landing in pittsburgh we've seen that you know mike tomlin and you know the uh the handful of ocs that we've seen there over the years have not been afraid to use a true bell cow uh every down back so i mean it, I think that's kind of thing. Ben prefers it, doesn't like the subs um, coming in and out. Ben will throw – Ben Roethlisberger will throw to his running backs. That's good. Uh, we know Najee's under, uh, underrated there uh, or perhaps became properly rated by the end of the process uh, for his receiver. You know, Pittsburgh needs to fix the line. Um, so, you know, I, I hope – they, they lost uh, Villanueva uh, to division rival Baltimore. I think that's a problem for them. Um, they're going to need to address – the on uh day two possibly or find Sargon veterans but just in general i mean i'm a big fan of Naji's talent um and you like to see him land with the team that at least will use a true uh, a true alpha back so yeah That's great you, you love to see the round one drop capital you love to see him land on a, a team that should be able to score some points um and maybe he's the missing piece maybe he's the the lone missing piece of the steelers returning to afc north greatness who knows
2: nice Nathan, you on board um, with Curtis's thoughts there? Is there any chance that you have a bit more of a pessimistic spin on this?
1: I'm not. uh, I I have been very much on a – explain it to me like I'm five. I don't understand why the Steelers have been considered a good landing spot for running backs over the last couple of years. Obviously – Last year was James Connors on, on a one-year deal. And then entering this year, they have literally nothing at the running back position. That is literally the only plus from the Steelers as far as a why they're a good landing spot point of view. They have a 39-year-old quarterback who has been on and off either terrible or okay. And they don't have long-term prospects as far as Mason Rudolph. They just signed to a one-year extension. Najee Harris is good. He's a guy who I'm still going to be taking in the top seven of, of rookie Superflex drafts. But I don't buy into the Steelers being a good long-term landing spot. It might be okay, but I think that Ben Roethlisberger in his arm dying and that impacting the role of Najee Harris is well within the range of outcomes.
2: Okay, so I want Curtis to make sure that we get uh, the updates from the box score scout while well, Travis gives us what uh, where he lands on this one.
4: Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely like Najee Harris. I think most people do. Uh, I still remember having conversations about Najee Harris. I don't know, six years ago. I think he he first <laughs> he first committed to Alabama back in seriously 2015, and everyone already crowned him like the top running back prospect that year. And so, as a Debbie fantasy football nerd, like I was talking about this guy seriously six years ago. And so, it's really cool to see him finally make it. And wow, he's seriously the the running back that we thought he could be. He takes on this huge workload, builds out his receiving profile uh, in a way that we didn't know was possible. And he's the first running back taken in, in the draft. And he goes to an opportunity that on paper, there's like no one else there, like you mentioned, Nathan, to compete. But, you know, last year, you know, take this for what, what you will. But, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, you know, he was like – that was like a 31st-ranked offensive line last year. And then they lose – uh, one of their starting tackles. On top of that, and uh, so yeah, there, there are some things I'm I'm definitely worried about uh, because he's going to go from having like just a free two and a half to three yards on every single stinking carry uh, behind that Alabama offensive line to a situation where he's now playing for the worst, if or maybe like a bottom five offensive line in, in the league. So he's not going to have giant runways and he's going to have to use every bit of that 230 pound frame to just add some yards after contact a lot because he's not going to be the efficient playmaker we want him to be uh, in that offense so I I still like uh, at least one or two running backs maybe uh, over Najee Harris this year which feels weird to say
2: got it Curtis can you uh, jump in here for us
3: uh yes, his updated sims from the prospect box score scout with a draft position of 24, uh number 1 sim becomes Doug Martin. Um I, th- I think that we can say that's uh, that's mostly a positive. Uh, uh interestingly enough, um former Steelers fantasy great Richard Mendenhall is his number 2. Uh DeAndre Swift, On Johnson, David Wilson, Jonathan Stewart, Ben Tate, Cam Akers, Eddie Lacy. Um, kind of round out that group. So I think that's a, that's an interesting group. I mean we have some pretty solid hits. Uh we have some disappointments. Um you know I I think I think a spectrum of of Ben Tate to Jonathan Stewart. I, I mean actually those two names are pretty interesting as like a range of outcomes because you know Tate had some effective fantasy uh he had some fantasy success. It was very short lived uh, Stewart hung around for a long time and I think it's safe to, I think most of us would agree, uh, had D'Angelo Williams not there. I mean, Stewart, mm-hmm. and brand RB one, he just never, you know, they split that role for so long in Carolina there. Um, so I, I really don't mind that. I mean, I think this is a fine list for, for, uh, Najee, a lot, lots of the heavier back with, uh, being pulled. and I think the one thing that we, we like from him, um, versus anyone else on his list is nearly double the final season receptions of anyone else on this list. Only Richard Mendenhall came close. Nobody reception uh, final college season uh, on this list. Najee and had uh, 43, of course.
4: Yeah, I like that. I, I love that tool. That's one of my favorite ones. I, I go to the box score scout all the time, but I also mess around with the running back and wide receiver lab, uh, prospect lab too, just because that builds in. I mean, you can build out like nine – Variables and look at uh, a player's profile from so many different angles. And no matter how you build it, uh, Derrick Henry actually pops up quite often as one of his best comps. And I know people are going to talk about him not being quite as big, but he's a better receiver. So I think if you can add some value there, uh, that's going to be a huge plus. And, you know, other big body guys like that had successful windows, even like Jeremy Hill shows up there, like even Beanie Wells. Do you guys remember? That dude, yep, yep. Uh, Rashad Penny's also on there, so it's, uh, yeah, you know that's not great. But uh, uh, yeah, maybe uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe he bounces back. Probably not. But uh, yeah, th- there's so many fun tools to, to mess around with uh, with with uh, roto biz. But but man, Najee Harris uh, is still it's it's not definitely an imperfect landing spot. I'll just say that it's kind of like I want to get excited about the opportunity, but there's just a but there.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that, because as Nathan was talking about earlier, I think that the cachet that uh, the Pittsburgh running back situation has uh, in comparison to that stretch where we saw it felt like anybody that was going to get placed back there um, was going to be able to prosper. I don't know if that's the same team anymore, and I think that's probably less likely that it is. Nathan, did you have one more thing you wanted to add there? I may have seen you looking like you wanted to jump in. Are you good? No? Nope. You're good? All right, so... That can bring us to a pick that I can see it on Curtis's face. He cannot wait to talk about this. We also actually got a question in the chat, and I believe this player would be the answer, or that the player that to that question uh, is going to get brought up here. And that was which you know player already on a team lost the most value. That is going to be James Robinson for sure, uh, because Travis ETN goes to the Jaguars at pick twenty-five. Uh, Curtis. I can see a smile on your face. I'm gonna let you have the floor first.
3: Yeah, I, I was frantically scrolling my Twitter feed. This uh, pull up my Dynasty trade of trading away James Robinson a few weeks ago, and uh, it was a really it was one I got a lot of flack for uh, the price point that I took. But this is exactly what you feared. This is exactly what you feared. So Travis Etienne goes 25 to Jacksonville, and uh, James Robinson. Uh, whether this draft pick in the first round with such a talented player happened or n- not, there was no circumstance, right. regime change, the system change, coaching change, that Robinson's going to get the same type of backfield work share that he had uh, in his rookie season. He he definitely already had the best season in his career, um, no matter what happened in the NFL draft this year. There, that Those circumstances weren't going to occur again. Um, now, Travis Etienne just – uh, this is this is a very very bad situation for for James unfortunately so um ETN uh, we'll go ahead and start with the tools here and then we'll kick it over to the other guys for um some instant analysis um what's really interesting and i guess i guess when you compare the seasons and the final season receiving and the similar 40 times um it this kind of makes sense a little bit but ETN pulls in a lot of the lighter comps uh from Najee's list but then some other guys too um, so Mendenhall, interestingly enough, is a top sim. And then we see Cam Akers, Mark Ingram, Clyde edwards Lair, C.J. Spiller, former Clemson great. I think that's an, a really interesting uh, a really interesting sim. Of course, Spiller was a top, top 10 pick uh, in the NFL draft. But stylistically, I think there's some similarities, except DTN's got 20 pounds on on Spiller. Uh, so perhaps we'll be trusted uh, to carry the load in a way that Spiller never was. Carion Johnson also shows up, but then we get Kareem Hunt, DeMarco Murray. I mean, those are those are some interesting names there in terms of players who have really popped in fantasy uh, in, a, in a, a very big way, um, like league winners. So I think this is this is a, a great list uh, for ETN. And Urban Meyer is going to run the ball. That's what he's done his whole career. Uh, he he's, his version of the spread is not the the, the prominent you know air raid, uh, kind of bastardized spread. Uh, mesh, you know, heavy mesh concept stuff that is taking over the NFL. Urban Meyer is a uh, run first to set up the yak Uh, and lots of movement around the backfield, lots of different players touching the ball, uh, but he likes to run the ball. And this is a great landing spot for ETN, great system for him.
2: Yeah, I've talked about it a lot, um, the strong profile that ETN has when you cut at it from a variety of different lenses Uh, and we had talked about and hopefully people took that advice there were so many reasons to be leery of James Robinson so Travis Etienne is in there Travis I'm going to go to you first here seeing as you guys share the same first name what do you think of this maneuver by the Jags
4: well, obviously, uh, they went against their brand and, and got a guy who is not a Jag at all in Travis <laughs> Etienne. And, and plus, he's got the name swag going on. So that's, uh, that's a plus too. He's obviously going to be a slam dunk and is clearly the running back one in this class now, uh, given, uh, the, the landing spot. But I, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. They're, they're, he's going to have a lot of space to work with, I think, given the threat of Trevor Lawrence and the weapons that they already have there. Uh, I I've seen some really funny blurbs already from uh, what they're saying about how they're going to deploy their running backs, just out of respect for the other guys. I already saw something about like, you know, using James Robinson and Carlos Hyde and then having Travis Etienne as a third down back. That's just hilarious. Like Travis Etienne had one of the best size speed scores in all of this pro day season this spring, you know, showing up heavier than a lot of people thought he would be at like five, you know, five, ish, 215 pounds. And then still getting around a four, four. That's, that's incredible. Especially in a year where we actually saw a bunch of slow times. Uh, I know people talk about pro day forties and adjusting that, but even, even when you do that, this is just a slow class. And so uh, ETN proved that he was, he's was. he got that size speed. He has final season receiving yard market share around 14%. He's got some great comps uh, already and goes to an offense that's really looking like it's going to be a high, high-flying offense. And I hate it because I'm a Titans fan. So, uh, yeah, I, I hate rooting for Travis ETN. But uh, if, if I'm going to get a Jags jersey, it's going to be that one.
2: Got it.
1: Yeah, Dave, when when you asked me when I logged on, like, what was my most exciting pick, this was before the Travis Etienne pick happened, yeah. and I answered Trey Lance. And uh, now that the Travis Etienne pick has happened, the answer is Travis Etienne. Uh, I, I think that the Jaguars, I, I kind of, you know, displayed the disadvantages of the Steelers landing spot. And for all the reasons that the Steelers aren't the best landing spot, the Jaguars are a great landing spot. I love their wide receivers with DJ Chark, Levis, Christian, Marvin Jones. I love their quarterback and Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Obviously it, there's some to be seen of, as far as like, is he an effective NFL head coach, NFL offensive coordinator. But I, I think that ETN is set up to be, you know, a 15 to 20 touch type guy in a very productive NFL offense. So ETN's my number one RB based on, you know, Harris to Steelers and ETN to to Jaguars. I'll take the long-term upside of a Trevor Lawrence offense over a Ben Roethlisberger offense every time.
2: So, wait a second, though. I got got to interject in here. Am I to surmise, given this, that you trust the competency of Urban Meyer more than you do the competency of Bill Belichick? Because that's what I'm gathering from our conversations tonight.
1: (laughs) No, no. I... If if Urban Meyer had Mac Jones at quarterback, I wouldn't be as confident as <laughs> as I am as Urban Meyer has Trevor Lawrence.
2: All right, all right, Curtis. It looked like you you wanted to pop in with something.
3: Yeah, so I I, I dug up this trade, and so listen, I mean, we're breaking down the draft here, but this is also an opportunity. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Listen, this is
1: this is absolutely
3: ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is it is ridiculous. Listen, this is why this is why we put out content because we want people to make these types of moves because this is the most obvious thing you can see this from twenty miles away. You tra- trade Faye running backs when they accrue to in dynasty, like it's just the most obvious thing. And so I was able to trade, you know, just like sixty days ago when, when the team signed Carlos Hyde, and everyone presumed that okay, well Hyde. I didn't. Of this previous relationship, so the Jags are out on running back. They're done. Um, I sent James Robinson plus 212, received Jalen Rager plus 108. Then I used 108 on Jalen Waddle, So Jalen Waddell, Jalen Rager, Dungeon Power uh, in exchange for James Robinson plus essentially a throw-in in a 1QB league. Um, and so that's what you do. You trade UDFA. I mean, you could have done the same thing with Philip Lindsey a couple of years ago enjoy the production you got, send them away, uh, you know, reap the profits and, and, and just move on. Um, you know, I think Nathan to, to hop on your enthusiasm there, you know, Najee has been my my one uh, running back in the class all along, you know, just by uh, the thinnest of, of margins. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep him there for now. However, um, if the, it, it, it could change as, as soon as the end of the NFL draft like really time some people listen to this pod I might change it if the Steelers don't address the offensive line um I, that would that would really would be all that it would would take for me uh, at this point it really was free TN <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I I like that point, too, that you made about we have to see how they do fill out the rest of these teams, because that could shift the opinion on some of these things. Uh, Like you, Curtis, and we talked about this before, we were the two guys at Rotoviz that were the highest on Harris. But I have been talking about how impressive I find ETN's profile to be, and I do think that now we have a significant conversation, similar to the way that last year I was torn as to what to do with Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Toler post-draft. I'm going to have to think about this one for a while, because... Though I might like Harris a little bit more as a player, this now becomes a pretty compelling situation that you can, um, you know, the situation for ETN, you can assign a lot of positives to it. Um, Let's get to the final player that's going to have fantasy implications or direct fantasy implications for the majority of our listeners as we head into 2021. That's Rashad Bateman going to the Baltimore Ravens. So the wide receiver out of Minnesota finds himself in this offense that Curtis and I have just been railing on week in and week out. Nathan, try to give the people out there some reasons that they could be positive about Bateman going to Baltimore and why Curtis and I might be wrong, that this is not a good landing spot for any wide receiver.
1: So landing spots, for the most part, they you have to – factor in value. And the reason why I have been salivating at the Baltimore landing spot for the last couple of months has been, I know whoever goes to Baltimore has an immediate bump down in value. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be second and third round wide receivers that are taken ahead of Rashad Bateman, the first rounder to Baltimore. I will not be one of those people. I will be taking first rounder Baltimore wide receiver Rashad Bateman over the guys who are going on and going in day two. So my excitement here is that over the fact that there's going to be people who are making the mistake of saying, Oh, running team. Oh, Lamar Jackson, not a passer and taking lesser receivers, taking lesser guys who don't have the investment that Rashad Bateman does. So I like Rashad Bateman or a receiver. And then when you add that with the fact that people are going to, overrate the you know downgrade of his offense all that equals is a you know positive fantasy value for for Rashad Bateman
4: absolutely uh and and Rashad Bateman I mean he's got a great I mean we've been talking about him and his production profile for a long time I think all, all of us here love Rashad Bateman as a prospect yes the situation's less than ideal but man the you guys remember the last time a wide receiver was selected as a first-rounder for the Ravens? It was Marquise Hollywood Brown, right? Uh, but he was dropped down boards like crazy, like Nathan mentioned, because of the landing spot. And so I think it is it is all about the spot in which you try to acquire him. It's, it's, it's going to be like a game of chicken with uh, Rashad Bateman, I think, in, in rookie drafts uh, if, if you're worried about uh, early opportunity. But one of the most ridiculous examples I've ever seen of draft capital just being ignored was when we saw Marquise Hollywood Brown get taken. Like, and for him, it was size concerns as well. But I'm going to read th- just the second round, by the way, from a real rookie draft of mine where I got Marquise Hollywood Brown real quick. Okay, so this is 14-team league, by the way. So starting at pick 15, 2.01, we, we saw Miko Hardman go off the board. And after that, we saw J.J. Arcega-Whiteside go off the board. And then after that, we saw Irv Smith, Jr., Andy Isabella, Justice Hill, Bruce Anderson, undrafted free agent running back, Daryl Henderson, and then Marquise Hollywood Brown at pick twenty two. Just an absolutely absurd reach after reach after reach after reach. And I'm not gonna name drop just because this I like the people too much, but man, they made some bad decisions. Uh <laughs> and and, and <laughs> thank you, yes. Yeah. Waiting yeah, waiting to use that one, I'm sure. Yeah. Dave, but, uh, I really like Rashad Bateman's analytical profile. Like his adjusted production index is above the 90th percentile. He had a great breakout age. Uh, he checks a lot of boxes from a film standpoint. If that's what you're into in terms of what he does and how he wins, he wins on slant routes at, at a ridiculous rate. He ran, win, he wins on double moves at a ridiculous rate. Uh, so Rashad Bateman just has most everything that you want to see in a wide receiver prospect, and the landing spot's not perfect, but he's probably going to drop into the second round now. So have at it, guys. Enjoy the value as it drops.
3: Uh, Dave, can you play the sad trombone one again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> of
3: course. <laughs> it'll, never, it'll never get old. Um, it will not. So, so in, 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 yeah, and I don't ask for uh, the sound the the sound uh, clip there necessarily uh, for Rashad Bateman. It's that sad trombone is playing for someone in the Ravens' offense uh, for one of the following three people: Rashad Bateman, Marquise Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews. I don't know which one it's going to be, uh, but what I do know is the offense can't support all three. And so, uh, two of the guys will probably be values and one will be overpriced. Um, and so it's a little bit of pass catcher roulette, uh, in Baltimore. Um, uh, Dave, we, we went over the quotes from, uh, John Harbaugh, uh, in one of our earlier episodes this week. I mean, like doubling down is the wrong term because. Because Baltimore literally is just so in the ball. Like, I mean, their, their offense doesn't need to be fixed. I, I mean, it's an incredible offense, um, and they need the right players to execute it. And uh, they can win the Super Bowl the way they're currently constructed. They just need they need to fix their defense, and they need to do be able to execute in, in crunch time. Um, so, I mean, adding talent at receiver is a good thing. I mean, Lamar should, should you know hypothetically have an open player on every play uh, if he can get through the. Race, um, but the team's gonna have passing attempts. Uh, they're gonna be in, in a lot of uh, neutral game scripts. They don't pass a lot, new in, in uh, you know when the when the score of the game is within one score, uh, we reviewed that on a pod earlier this week. So I mean those things haven't changed. I mean what's changed is the the name you know on the back of the jersey you know out there on the perimeter uh, at wide receiver. So um, I I can't. I, I kind of, I sort of agree with Nathan, Nathan that you know this is a good value opportunity um it's not a situation where I don't want to be gobbling up um multiple players from Baltimore so for Sha Bateman's the best player available in your rookie draft um I, I'm not saying you should fade him, but if you also own Hollywood uh, or Mark Andrews, you might want to consider you know after you take Bateman you know what are you gonna to do to kind of um uh sp- spread that out i, I don't want to, I don't want to be concentrated you guys
1: that that's that's an interesting concept um curtis to try and throw it back to you. I, I guess what we'll, to we'll travis here um my question would be if you are like okay i really want bateman now what are you doing with your hollywood brown shares
3: i mean uh well so i'll go first I, i'm gonna go first real quick because i don't keep it short travis i mean so I, I think Hollywood is a, a better the type of splash plays that, that Baltimore needs in, in the offense. And we saw it happen in the playoffs at the end of last year. I think Bateman will profile as the chain mover, um, in addition to Andrews being that chain mover, uh, probably a better bet to have touchdowns than, than Hollywood. Um, Hollywood becomes more of like a Deshaun Jackson-like figure in the offense. And, I, I mean, honestly, I would just rather – I don't think anyone's projectable week to week to week because of the limited volume. So I'd rather just have the guy that can win me a week once in a while. Um, that's that's kind of my take.
4: Yeah, I was going to say from from a – Right there with you, just from a much better best ball type play and uh player to have on your team if you if there's a best ball aspect to your league, then he is like a week week to week starter. Uh, but then again, you know I think uh, Hollywood Brown is entering year three of his career, and if this is just a crater to his value or if after a few weeks you can't you can't move him right now. Uh, there's, there's no one that's going to really go for that and give you anywhere near the value that you'd like. So you have to hold right now um, and wait for a kind of a an up moment in that uh, big boom week that you might have to move off of him or, you know, wait for the uh, crater to, you know, crater even worse. And even try to add a few understanding that given uh, their investment in Bateman and given their, Likely nature to uh, keep Anders there as a target. I doubt they even exercise his fifth-year option, and maybe if you're playing long-term in Dynasty, you, you hold on and hope that he has a, a nicer landing spot with a second contract. Uh and, You know, having a career arc like Emmanuel Sanders or something like that, just a lot longer-term thinking there.
1: I, I do think that – we're going to see elements of 2019 Baltimore Ravens offense in 2021. And that's going to be your selling opportunity for the entire Ravens offense, whether it be Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown, or even to a small extent, Bateman, like the Ravens offense was pretty much bad in 2020. And, you know, you have Dobbins continuing to improve. I know Curtis is a huge Dobbins guy. And so I, I think that, you know, once we start to see some semblance of 2019, that's when you'll have the opportunity to sell any of your Ravens guys that you don't want to, you know, hold on to.
3: Yeah, I mean, Dobbins, Dobbins is kind of the same situation as Babe. A huge guy uh, pre draft lands in a situation where there's only so many rushing touches to go around, and Lamar Jackson takes 1,000 yards and seven to 10 rushing touches. A year, um, and they don't throw. They don't throw the ball. They don't throw the ball very much at all. So it's. I mean, it's just kind of the same manifestation that we see in the, in the running game. They're splitting the, the valuable running, rushing touches, up three ways, uh, splitting a limited volume up three ways, and so it's just. It's like the Baltimore offense is definitely a situation where, like you know, the hole is uh, is greater than the the sum of the parts in the NFL um and and the parts are really good too Uh, but for fantasy it's just like you know you just want Lamar Jackson and not really anybody else and like I don't think that I don't think the Bateman landing here really changes anything about that
2: anybody have any follow-up on that or uh if not all right so let's pivot off of there so we have hit through all of the offensive players that we need to talk about. I will float this out there. If there was a defensive player that anybody felt uh, was a particularly interesting pick that they wanted to talk about, we could go that way. If not, I do have a topic that I would like to pose, but it looks like Travis might have something for us. No. I've been waiting to hit the crickets too, so that was it. So.
4: Yeah, well, no, you caught me. You know, it's funny. I've been juggling some things. Like I was yeah. trying. I've actually finished my Kyle Pitts piece while we while we've been pod- podcasting. Nice. Yep. And been tweeting out road of his dynasty stuff. And I was on other shows tonight. It's just been a weird night. So I, I completely missed your question. So.
2: Oh, that's fine. This <laughs> guy. Yeah, you know, that's that, that's fine. I was gonna say this guy is this guy is rocking and rolling here though. Uh, but we got into a little bit of a conversation that I want to talk about before we close for remind me if we actually did talk about this on air but the question came up about uh which players value changed more positively tonight jalen hurts by the function that the eagles went out got a receiver didn't draft a quarterback or did trey lance's value appreciate more given the fact that san francisco took him, and I believe there was another element to that conversation we were having, but I but I don't remember that. So Nathan or Curtis, pop in here and uh, just, 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 just run through <clears> this.
1: So my, my take on the situation was that Jalen Hurts' value rose more but I would still prefer Trey Lance. So the fact that they traded up, didn't take Justin Fields, they took Devonta Smith to support uh, Jalen Hurts, that's a positive. But there aren't many scenarios where I'm going to take a second round Jalen Hurts who hasn't proven to be an efficient passer over the long term quite yet over a guy who's taken number three by Kyle Shanahan, who is an offensive coordinator, who's our head coach, our offensive coordinator has proven to be effective from a fantasy perspective. Plus Debo Samuel, Brandon, George, George Kittle is much better than you can get from Devonta Smith and, uh, and Jalen Rager.
3: Yeah, so just to add um, some context here, I'm looking at RotoViz Triflex, Roto-Viz Tri-Flex Dynasty Startup ADP. And, and coming into tonight through 27 drafts this year, Jalen Hurts is QB 13 with an ADP of 37.3. Hansen was QB 14 uh, with uh, an ADP of 47.5. So uh, going uh, almost a full round behind Hurts. We're talking about. Uh, early fourth versus uh, very end of the four between the two players. And so Nathan, it was before the show, Dave, um, to yeah. get back to your point, point, this was not, not on air and we were kind of figuring this out together. Um, I really appreciated some of the points that, that Nathan meant, or the, you know, the surrounding weapons. I mean, he's still got the Konami code um, aspect to his game. Certainly run the ball. Um, You know, when you look at what San Francisco has in the backfield versus what Philly has, if you're still a Miles Sanders believer, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, Lance will not, perhaps with his size and the lack of a a strong running back, Lance gets some of those goal line carries. I mean, we could legitimately see like rookie season Cam Newton stuff from Trey Lance this year. Like, I don't think that's um, out of the question. So you have to look at all that. But then, you know, for me personally, I'm, I'm a bit conflicted because. I feel like Jalen Hurts should. I mean, if I was running a franchise, I would have thought, you know, he was the top ten overall player in last year's draft. It's always really not made sense to me why he was a second round pick. You know, he had this hole in his profile because he transferred, uh, and and he lost lost the job in a, in a weird way. You know, to Tua, to, uh, um, who also ended up being a first round pick. And We've got other recent you know college quarterbacks. Lose their job or transfer over uh, far less competition. I mean, Justin Fields going eleven overall this year, left Georgia, and and the team started Jake Fromm uh, over him. I mean, I mean, so you know that that's way worse than than Hurts leaving Alabama because of Tua, and then going and setting you know all kinds of records, Oma. Um, and have this unique quarterback profiles in, in college football history from a passing and rushing perspective. So that that that's the the piece for me. It's like Jalen Hurts has done it at a high level. Trey Lance hasn't done it at a high level and hasn't done it very much. Um, he hasn't played in, in over a year, uh, very young. Uh, so So it's, you know, how much do you believe in his athletic profile and the Shanahan offensive system design? And how much of a chance are you willing to take on that versus Hurts, who we saw at least be you know a pretty impressive fantasy producer in limited sample size last year, and his offense is objectively better now, having uh, added Devontae Smith. So it's really a fascinating debate. I think it's, a, it's an important one, too, because if you don't take a quarterback in the first three rounds of your draft, you're going to be faced with this uh, decision, and perhaps both of them move into the third round now you could easily be faced with this if you're if you're on team, you know, fade QB in the first couple of rounds of a super flex. So uh, this one might take a, a week or two to figure out, uh, but certainly an interesting topic.
1: And it's also one of those topics that there might not necessarily be a wrong answer that uh, Trey Lance, Jalen Hurts could both possibly be top eight, top eight to 12, you know, nice quarterbacks over the next several years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely uh, in uh, in play as well. Uh, so a lot of exciting things that happened. Maybe let's try to close this down quickly. I will throw out this question, um, and it's okay if we have overlap in the answer. I'll start with Travis on this one. Um, the most exciting pick that was made, forgive me if when you were talking about somebody, you already kind of said this, but what pick to you really uh, pumped you up?
4: So, I, I think the the pick that really pumped me up was actually the Travis Etienne pick, just because of uh, you know, just because his name. No, I mean it's <laughs> way more than that. It, it's and when you look at what James Robinson was able to do, I know it's new regime and everything. There's there are things that are going to look different than last year, uh, but he came in and, and virtually dealing with a lot of the same pieces with an upgraded quarterback. Uh, and and basically a way better situation. And James Robinson was an undrafted free agent talent and came in and was like, hey, guys, what's up? I'm a running back one. And uh, and then Travis Etienne comes in with first-round capital with an incredible receiving profile with with multiple 1,500-yard-plus seasons on his resume and all the pedigree in the world. Uh, and you, you just you got to get giddy with that. So I, I was just – that was the most exciting pick for me.
2: Very nice. All right, Nathan, how about you? <laughs>
1: If I'm, if you're taking away Etn from me, and we've talked at length about uh, about Lance, I, I will say Waddle because the Miami Dolphins offense. We, we've talked about the Bengals, we've talked about the Cowboys, we have talked about all these offenses that have this high upside. The Dolphins have some sneaky upside here with with Waddle and Fuller and Parker. Like they don't have a bad offense around them, and if Tua can show what he showed as a college player then the Dolphins can sneakily be like a top five offense in the NFL. So I I actually, you know, I don't love the Waddle NFL pick from an NFL perspective, but we're talking about from fantasy. I think Waddle could play himself into being a top 20 wide receiver very quickly.
2: I like to hear that. All right, Curtis, what do you think?
3: No, man, I'm going to throw it back to you, Dave. I want to hear – I'll go last. You take your player off the board, man. So – I use not spout much uh, tonight.
2: <laughs> That's all right. So I'm actually going to kind of go here with a bit maybe of a bold choice and actually say Jamar Chase going to Cincinnati to me is actually – Pretty exciting because if Chase is as good as we think that he is and Joe Burrow is as good as it looks like he's been at different points and they have the connection that I think that they could have in the confines of an ascending offense, this could be a situation where he goes in, starts off hot, just gets tremendous volume and just continues to build and build and build. Uh, so this is exciting to me because uh, it's not all the time that you get to see a player like Chase with the talent that he has get put into a situation where yes, there's other players there, but there's other factors that might allow him to really prosper. Um, So I'm going to try to spin this positively here on chase and say that I actually find it uh, pretty exciting um, that he is going to be going back to Cincinnati or I shouldn't say back to Cincinnati, but going back to uh, playing with a burrow.
3: Yeah, I I like that. I think, that's a, that's a great spin. I mean, we, you know, I think that's the, the underrated themes uh, of the night, you know, or fun theme of the night is so many reunions between uh, uh, passers and pass catchers uh, in, in the first round. Um, you know, we saw it with, uh, let's see, we saw it with Chase. Uh, we saw it with Devontae Smith. We saw it with Jalen Waddell. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's gotta be rare. I don't think it certainly hasn't happened three times in the first round before, um, of the available choices left on the board. I mean, I'll go back to, to Philadelphia trading up for Devontae Smith. I think, um, makes that pretty exciting. You know, they felt so, uh, compelled that, you know, he, they make a trade with their hated division rival to get in front of their other division rival to take Devontae Smith and play keep away. Um, so, uh, you know, we talked about this an hour ago. I think Nathan brought up the point. Um, you know, the team has, to us, that they see Devonte Smith as their, um, as their you know bona fide wide receiver one, uh, in, in doing this and in paying a first plus a third for him, taking him in the top ten, um, they care more about his talent, uh, and you know his uh his physical profile, see him for what he is. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's really exciting, and it's cool, it's cool for him after how dominant he was in college to, uh, I. Guess completely validated being you know the third wide receiver off the board despite the the physical profile questions and going in the top 10 so uh it's also a bit of a feel-good pick for me
2: yeah very cool very cool so i think we have a lot to be excited about want to thank uh nathan and travis for coming on why don't uh before we sign off here nathan tell us uh you know what people can look for uh you know coming out of coming out of your neck in the woods in the coming weeks
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, make sure to tune in the streetcast on Road of His Radio with myself, uh, Nathan Powell, and Dan Senio. We'll have all the reactions to the draft weekend and how you should react to that from your Dynasty team perspective. And also I have a series for those that are a commissioner of a Dynasty league. I have a series called Commissioner Chronicles on the DLF YouTube channel. Uh, make sure to check that out. We cover all, all sorts of different dynasty topics in terms of, you know, Superflex or contract or Devi or basically, if there's a, if there's a topic you're looking to cover as commissioner, the Commissioner Chronicles is looking to cover it. So either it's been covered or ask me to cover it, and I'll be happy to, to talk about it. So uh, Commissioner Chronicles on the DLF YouTube channel and Rotoviz Dynasty Cast on Rotoviz Radio. Awesome.
2: Travis, let the people know uh, where they can find you and what uh, you're going to be up to in the next couple of weeks.
4: Uh, sure. So I, I've got my College to Canton podcast, uh, which really focuses in on really the journey of prospects from early college football recruiting through the throughout their college career, talking about production profiles and uh, breaking down players from all sorts of angles. Uh, you know, getting drafted all the way to discussions as to who should be you know in the Hall of Fame. So it's just a it's a fun show. I love doing that. I uh, have a lot of fun guests on there talking college football and NFL. Uh, but I've got my top 100 rookie series, uh, coming out at R- Rotoviz here. Again, I always do that, uh, one kind of pre-draft and, and I do that really early. Uh, and I've been making that list and working on that really since like late last September. <laughs> so I've uh, been digging in and doing both sides of the ball, offense and defense for you guys. Generally about a 60-40 split there. So if you play uh, weird IDP leagues, uh, even for you guys, uh, putting some names out there. So we're going to have 100 rookies uh, here out shortly. As, as soon as the draft gets over with, I'll basically have that list completely done. Uh, and then, yeah, so that that's always a huge project, but it's a it's a lot of fun. So be looking for that here soon.
2: Awesome, yeah, that's all cool stuff that you guys have going on. Definitely recommend people check that out. Curtis, you and I are going to be pretty busy uh, for sure over the next couple of weeks, and probably also in the next couple of days. Break down, uh, you know, some of the things that we also have going on at RotoVis quickly before we pop off here.
3: Man, I'm, I'm just I'm so pumped! Like every single day of the Dynasty Year is the best is is the best day. Um, I, I love this game so much. And when you, when you have a gift, like the NFL draft come and just, it makes it fresh and exciting and new again. Um, and just reminds me, you know, how much, uh, I love fantasy football. I love talking about it. Uh, love, um, cutting it up with, um, you know, some other, uh, town, uh, players and analysts, this, uh, like to through a lot of fun, um, in terms of specifics, um tomorrow, actually, tomorrow night, um, you and I and Travis and Sean and Blair will actually be going through our final rankings in the uh, volume three of the uh, fantasy football rookie draft guide. It's going to be awesome. We're going to get that out uh, in advance of anyone's rookie draft starting uh, the first of the week. So we're going to do a little bit different this year. We're just going to release those rankings directly to everyone, uh, probably on Sunday, maybe as early as tomorrow night, uh, I guess, well, Sunday or Saturday night, rather, um, if you're listening to this on, on Friday, it would be tomorrow. Um, good luck keeping track of that timeline over the last 10 <laughs> seconds. Um, my inbox probably, yeah, I'm little track of time. Um, it's going to be in your inboxes either late Saturday night or Sunday. Uh, the rankings for one QB, superflex with Titan Premium, or just uh, Titan Premium. Um, rankings and tiers along with from you know, where those value spots uh, have changed uh, so you have a chance to, to make some trades as well. Uh, and just move around your rookie draft. So uh, that'll be the first thing that we're really doing. I'm going to be continuing my uh, dynasty trade targets. It's really been a huge smash uh, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, you can tell people are really excited to play some dynasty this year. I mean, the readership's been through the roof in the comments. So just really appreciate everybody's support uh, of our great site and all the work that, that all of our analysts are doing. Um, and I, I got to leave a quick um, Blair, uh, Andrew, Sean Siegel and Matt Spencer put out some really cool pieces uh, on the site today that really uh, paint some context around the running backs and the wide receivers in this class and I know they're going to be tweaking that um, to adjust for the draft capital as well so make sure you check out those three pieces it's really going to make you feel uh, smarter and more equipped to attack your rookie draft
2: yeah awesome awesome stuff coming out today well thanks again to everybody for tuning in and uh, to Nathan and Travis for hanging out with Curtis and I tonight tonight Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCavenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.